Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. Tonight we'll have one song, uh, and then David has announcements. Uh, two more songs, I believe. Hunter has a Devo. Our first song tonight is going to be number 982. 982, We Shall Assemble. We shall assemble on the mountain. We shall assemble at the throne. We'll stumble up into his presence. We bring an offering of song. Glory and honor and no Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we have a devotional. Um, as a reminder that uh, this coming Saturday for all our youth, for preschool up to sixth grade, uh, there's a scavenger hunt, and it starts at 9 a.m. Uh, for more information, there's a sheet out in the foyer on the team table, so please, or just the youth table, uh, please grab one of those sheets to find out more information on the scavenger hunt on this Saturday, November the 11th. Also, uh, this Sunday, um, if you're a veteran, uh, let us serve you in a meal after worship service that morning. There's a sign-up sheet. Tonight is the last night to sign up. So if you're planning on going to the veterans' dinner, um, please sign up tonight so that way we know who, uh, how many people are coming to the veterans' dinner. But um, <clears throat> that is this coming Sunday, and that's um, hosted by Life Groups 1 and 2. That's Gary and Rick's Life Group. Also, November the 18th, um, all men, there's a men's meeting at 8.30 in the morning. That is uh, not this coming Saturday, but next Saturday, so please put that in your calendars. Men's meeting, November 18th. Uh, Sunday, November 19th, is a special needs contribution and Thanksgiving food drive and also deacons meeting. Um, so a lot going on that day on November 19th, uh, so please uh, put that in your calendars as well. Um, due to the Thanksgiving holidays, November the 22nd, Wednesday, there will only be a devotional. There will be no Bible class. Only devotional um, 
no Bible class, uh, November 22nd. Um, also, the new quarter starts December 3rd. If you can help out Teak, please see Jeremy and Connie. Um, we're still needing some teachers for the classes, uh, little kids, and also uh, Bible Hour, I believe. Uh, so if you can help out with that, please see Jeremy and Connie. Also, if you're um, one of our older members who needs a ride because it's getting dark, uh, there's a sign sheet on the four-year board. Please sign that, uh, that piece of paper so that way we know who to pick up. Um, updates on our prayer list. Uh, keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers. He has an appointment tomorrow at Columbus. Uh, he's there now. Um, he has it early in the morning. But keep him in uh, your prayers that his results are still good. Um, uh, also keep Jim Haney and Jim Martin and Chuck Davidson in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments. Uh, keep Carolyn Lynn in your prayers. Uh, she is now at Ironton. Um, uh, she was at St. Mary's, but she's back at Ironton, so keep her in your prayers as she goes through her rehab. Also, Mary, continue to keep Friday Simpson in your prayers as she has some health decisions to make. Uh, keep Trey Davis in your prayers as well. Also, keep Roger and Peg Pryor in your prayers, and keep Charlie and Alice Boso in your prayers as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have at this time. Is there anything else I may have missed? Beverly Edwards is having knee surgery on the 15th, yes. Is there anything else? All right, let's go to God in prayer at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful and blessed to be able to be here this evening, Lord. To be able to apply your word to our everyday lives, Lord, to learn more about you, to, to gain more wisdom from your word, Lord. I pray that what we learn this evening, Lord, we can apply to our everyday lives and not just keep it to ourselves, but share it with our neighbors, share it with our families, share it within our community, Lord. Lord, I pray that, that you be with us spiritually, Lord. I pray that you be with us in our own prayer life. Help us to pray to you more, help us to build a better relationship with you because, Lord, we know that we can, it's an area in our lives we know we can all help improve on. Lord, I ask you this time to continue to be with us as we read your word. Help us to be good stewards of your word, Lord, be able to teach others in patience and love, Lord. Lord, I ask you this time to continue to be with our sick, be with Jimmy and Jim Haney and Jim Martin and Chuck Davidson as they continue with their cancer treatments, Lord. We ask you to be with the doctors and nurses who are taking care of them, Lord. Lord, we ask you to be with Carolyn Lynn this time, Lord. She's going through her therapy, Lord, and, and that she gets better soon, that she can get back on her feet. Lord, we ask you this time to continue to be with our country, Lord. Be with our leaders at this time, Lord. Lord, I pray that they all make the right decisions at this time. Lord, we ask you this time to be with our youth. Guide and direct them, Lord. Help them in the everyday life that they go through. Give them the wisdom and guidance they need, Lord. Use us to help them during stressful times, during depressed times, anxiety, whatever the situation may be in their life, Lord. But they help them to understand that they can lean on you. Lord, continue to be with us the rest of this week. Lord, most of all, we thank you so much for you sending your son to die on the cross for us. Lord, we know that you love us, and we thank you for that. Continue to be with us. Watch over us when we fall short. 
It's in Jesus Christ's name I do pray. Amen. Next song uh, is on the overhead only. It's in Christ alone. In Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In my life, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, sun through the fiercest round and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are for the lesson this evening is number 756 756 when we all get to heaven if you would let stand for this song please Yeah. 
song of invitation tonight will be number 950, 950, Lamb of God. Good evening. I'm going to talk about something a little different tonight. I'm going to make you think, uh, make you consider some things, uh, look in, kind of open up a little bit, uh, and try to perceive things from a different understanding, I guess. Uh, this devotional stemmed from a conversation that I had with my partner at work uh, a number of months back. Um, we were sitting down, um, had just got back from a call, was sitting in the bay where we park the trucks uh, we've got some little lawn chairs uh, some office chairs and stuff we sit down there and we talk when we get bored and we don't want to go upstairs and sit in the day room and watch tv uh, we had started talking and this kind of came up in conversation um, it was related to a call that we had had um, more specifically my driving to said call than the call itself uh, my partner kind of looked at me and he gave me the nickname crash and he said that I tend to be reckless in the way that I drive when I turn the lights and sirens on on my ambulance. Uh, and I wasn't quite sure how to take that. Um, and the conversation stemmed from there. And these notes are uh, sort of a, a, a cliff of what happened um, in that conversation. Um, I want you to think for a second, if I asked you how you would describe God's love if somebody walked up and asked you, how would you describe God's love, what would you tell them? Just, you know, something to kind of put in your head um, because we're going to focus on this topic. Before we actually get into the lesson, and I will go ahead and apologize in advance, I might go a little long on this one. I started out with four pages of notes. I sat down and talked with Chris, and it soon turned into nine pages of notes. So I'm going to skim through this, but I do apologize if I go a little over. I'm uh, going to look at a couple definitions. Uh, these are all out of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. You can look them up on Google. Find them in the big book of definitions when you get home if you have a dictionary. If you're really curious and you don't want to take my word for it. First word of the night is reckless. Uh, the definition of reckless is without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. Now, if you didn't want to say my driving was reckless, you could look at my right foot and say, okay, maybe some of my decisions could be perceived as reckless. Uh, the second word of the night is passionate. Uh, the definition of passionate is shown or caused by strong feelings or a strong belief. And the third word is unconditional, without or not subject to any conditions. How would you describe reckless behavior? Somebody would describe reckless behavior as going over the necessary limit for something. Um, take driving, for example. There is a speed limit set to drive safely. Driving recklessly would be swerving in and out of lanes, even though they are paved very clearly on the road, and driving 80 when the speed limit is posted is 55. Just a, a small example there. A doing risky or dangerous things, in turn putting yourself or others at risk, ignoring the potential results of an event, and being utterly unconcerned about the consequences of the actions you are committing. How do we take the word reckless and compare it to our faith? Well, before we do that, what is faith? Faith is believing in something that 
you know, is not necessarily solid in front of you, depending on the definition you look at. Uh, as a matter of fact, turn to Hebrews 11, if you don't mind. I'm going to look at a couple passages out of there. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it is painted very clearly for us. Verse 1 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. That kind of gives us a little bit of a definition of faith. Um, verse 2 says, through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Now, Hebrews 11, this is a good example of people who have had faith. Um, very good, strong faith and how it can be interpreted. Take some of these examples. Matter of fact, in verse 7, um, verse 7 says, It was by the faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Matter of fact, Verse 8, right below that. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed. Then God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. So put, your, put yourself in Noah's shoes, in Abraham's shoes, for just a minute. I want you to think about this. If God told you, go build a boat to save your family, or go to this land that you have never been to before, you've never seen, you don't know anything about, but you know what, I'm going to promise it to you. This is your inheritance. Now, if you sit and you think about that for a minute, to go without any prior knowledge of said land or to build a boat, you know, without any prior knowledge of boat building or why you're doing it for that matter, it would probably seem a little reckless to do so to invest all of this time to do something and not fully or truly understand why you're doing it. So would that be reckless faith to jump in and to take these actions head first? Or is it reckless to look at God and wonder, why are you telling these people to do these things? That seems reckless to tell them to go to a land they've never been to, to build a boat for something they know nothing about. Why build a boat and save their family? What's going to happen? Why? A little farther down in Hebrews, you look at 17. Hebrews 17 says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who, was received, or who had received God's promises, was all ready to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, if you think about this, especially if you're a parent, if you were told to sacrifice your son really no reason why would you go and do it seems a little strange to look at uh, especially with no true reason set forth in front of you the last passage that I want to look at in Hebrews 11 real quick is 29 passage 29 says it was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground but when Egyptians tried to follow they were all drowned. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was told to walk right through the Red Sea and that not a drop of water was going to touch me and that I was going to walk right through it like I was on dry ground, I would probably think that you were a little crazy, and I would might even think that's a reckless decision given the fact that those people turned around and they saw the water collapse right back in and everybody that was chasing them drowned in an instant. That would seem pretty crazy to me. Um, another good example is the story of Jonah. Um, 
God wanted Jonah to go to the land of Nineveh and to preach. Uh, now, okay, sure. There's lots of stories about God wanting people to go to lands and preach, but why was this such a big deal? Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Well, if you look at it and you read what the Bible says about Nineveh, what it has to say, Nineveh is not at all a great place. Nineveh is modern-day Las Vegas, uh, Sin City. You know, there's prostitution, there's murder, there's all of these things. Nothing about this sounds like a good idea. Jonah's like, if I go there, they are really not going to like me. <laughs> I really don't want to do this, and I really don't want to go and preach. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and read what the Bible has to say about Nineveh. Got it saved in here somewhere. Um, if you want to read along with me, reading out of the book of Nahum, it's chapter 3, and I'll read verses 1 through 7. It says, What sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies? She is crammed with wealth and is never without victims. Hear the crack of whips, the rumble of wheels, horses' hooves pound and chariots clatter wildly. See the flashing swords and glittering spears as the charioteers charge past. There are countless casualties, heaps of bodies, so many bodies that people stumble over them. All this because Nineveh, the beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with her beauty. She taught them in all her magic, enchanting people everywhere. I am your enemy, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and now I will lift your skirts and show all of the earth your nakedness and shame. I will cover you with filth and show the world how vile you really are. All who see you will shrink back and say, Nineveh lies in ruins. Where are the mourners? Does anyone regret your destruction? So given those examples, I'm going to go back and ask again, how would you describe someone who would show an example of reckless faith? Given the definition that we have in Hebrews 11 verse 1 and the definition of reckless, how would you describe somebody with reckless faith? Maybe going out on a limb, regardless of what the consequences are, and just being okay with it. Why? Because we have faith in God. Because we know that at the end of the day, regardless of the outcome of what happens, he is in control of everything. So to have reckless faith would be to step out and take a chance without any prior knowledge of anything, and being okay with that and accepting the consequences. If we look at the story of Peter um, in Matthew 14, uh, go down in Matthew 14 a little bit, in verse 28, Peter and the rest of the disciples are out on the boat. This is after Jesus had spoke to the crowds for quite a while that day. He told them to get in the boat go out and that he would come to them later so they go out in the boat matter of fact the scriptures say they were pretty far out in the boat they were a good ways offshore and they look out and they see something walking on the water they thought it was a ghost well you know Jesus says alright calm down it's me it's not a ghost Peter being Peter the person he is says alright if it really is you tell me to walk out on the water to you Okay. Jesus says, all right, come out. 
Peter takes a step out of the boat. All right, pretty reckless. We're stepping out of the safe boat and onto the water. And, you know, we have prior knowledge that we cannot walk on the water. We are human beings. It is not physically possible for us to walk on the water. So to the normal person reading this, this would seem pretty reckless. Peter takes a couple steps out on the water. Everything seems to be fine. And then he starts to look around him. Now earlier on in that story, the Bible tells us that it was not a calm night on the sea. It was pretty stormy, um, windy. The waters were turbulent. Uh, it wasn't a sheet of glass. It wasn't calm. Um, it wasn't a cakewalk. Peter gets a little distracted by the wind and the waves, and he loses sight. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and what happens? Starts to sink right down into the water. Now we know the ending of the story. Jesus reaches down. He picks Peter up out of the water, and he says, you have little faith, why do you doubt me? It might be easy to look at these examples and say, yeah, I could be a Christian of reckless faith. I could take that step out. I could take that risk knowing that God has me and that he's not going to let me perish. Okay, take these stories, for example, and I'm going to give you a real-world scenario here. Given the events that are happening over in Israel across seas right now, what if God told you to go over to Israel with all the war and the turmoil and he says, go and preach to them about me? Would you do it? Would you be reckless enough and have enough faith to step out and to go over to a land littered with turmoil and war and destruction and preach? Or would you rather sit right here in the safe, sound boat outside of the storms and just take his word for it okay that's jesus he's walking out on the water you know he'll come over here eventually this is probably just one of his teaching moments of many that are in the bible right here you know i'm gonna stay right here in the boat where it's safe i'm, I'm gonna be one of the rest of the disciples i am not peter in this story let's kind of break off for a minute would you describe god's love as reckless There's a song out, well, it's been out for a while. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was released, 2016, maybe, somewhere around there. It's a song called Reckless Love by the writer Corey Asbury. And I'm going to read the lyrics of the course. And it says, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, and leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Now, whether you've heard the song or not, if you have not, go home and listen to it. But just based on the chorus there, Leaves the 99, we can take that and see what he is writing this song about here. He's writing the song about the parable that you can find in Luke. Well, actually about a couple parables that you can find in Luke. In Luke, um, there's a parable of the lost sheep and there's also a parable of the lost son uh, both of which can be related to this song but we'll come back to that many people have argued that using the word reckless was not appropriate for the song to describe God's love uh, it's been argued that they could have used different words such as passionate or unconditional and think back 
the definition of passionate and unconditional make a lot more sense compared to the definition of reckless. So why did the songwriter choose the word reckless? I mean, if you think about it, using the word passionate or unconditional does kind of make sense. Here was his response to this. He had a little bit of a commentary, and he actually addressed this in a live show that he did uh, shortly after releasing that song. And he said, When I use the phrase, the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way he loves is in many regards quite so. What I mean is this. He is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regard to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it is quite childlike, and might I even suggest sometimes downright ridiculous. His love bankrupted heaven for you. His love doesn't consider himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-serving, and he doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at him and offer ourselves in return. Think about that for a minute. Our creator, the God of the universe, that spoke all of this around us, including ourselves, into existence, puts himself out there for us. And he doesn't care what happens. He puts it out there in hope that we see what he's done, the kindness, the generosity. And we want to do the same thing in return, give ourselves to him. Now let's go ahead and look back at Luke chapter 15 and uh, verses 3 through 7 is the parable of the lost sheep Um, and actually in Matthew chapter 18 verses 10 through 14 you don't have to flip there if you don't want to but Matthew tells us the same story and instead of saying lost sheep he calls it wandering sheep in Luke 15 verse 7 He says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. In Matthew 18, his version of this parable, his recollection of it, says, and if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of his little ones shall perish. Now later on in Luke 15, verse 11 through 32, I'm not going to read it because that is a lengthy passage and I feel like I've already gone over (laughs) a little bit uh, for my time. But that is the parable of the lost son. We all know that story. We're all familiar with that story. What happens at the end of that parable? The son comes back and what does the father do? What does he want when his son returns? Well, the first thing he does is he runs up and the Bible says he embraces his son. He hugs him and he holds him real tight. And he tells his servants, he says, go and get the best robe, a ring, sandals, and I want you to kill the fatted calf because we're going to have a feast tonight. We're partying because my son came back home. The one that left that I thought was gone forever came back. We're having a feast and we're celebrating tonight. Those of you that have kids... And that our fathers, if this happened, would you accept your son back or 
would you not have reckless faith? Would you be too worried about what other people may think that you would shy him away, that you would shun him, and that you would not take him back? Two more passages before we close tonight. James 5, 19 through 20 says, My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And Jude 1, 23 says, Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear hate even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now with all that being said, if there is anyone who has strayed away needing a little help, encouragement, prayers, feel free to come forward. If you have not taken that step out of the boat the same way Peter did and you have fully committed yourself to God and you feel that the time is right, there's a chance for that now as well. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the lesson that we had that Hunter gave us, Lord. Help us take what we learned today, Lord, and apply it to our lives. Uh, be with us as we go to our lessons today, Lord, and uh, help us take from our lessons and apply that to our lives, Lord. Please be with all those who are struggling and who are on the sick list, Lord. Be with us as we travel home tonight, Lord, and keep us safe. Thank you for all the many blessings you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.